This week, the Exeter Exchange in London. Starting in 1773, this buried-use building included an indoor zoo on the second floor where many animals were exhibited over the years, including the extinct Formosan clouded leopard. Welcome to Extinction Event. Jack, it has been so long since we've done one of these. I am very excited to be here. I'm still just basking in the glow of the Frogs and Toad episode (laughs) that we did last time. That one was so good. It was just like, you know what? We can just kind of ride on the coattails of Frogs and Toads. I agree. It ended up being one of my favorite episodes and we had to take a break after that. You know, my episode where I led that was about mm-hmm. all the, the Beast of Champawa. Unforgettable. I was like, okay, that one's, that one's pretty good for a first time of me doing it. And then the follow that up with Frogs and Toads. Wow. Right. We deserve a break. We did. I will say your episode has gotten a lot of listens. It's doing great. It's doing mad numbers. Mm-hmm. That's what they say in the podcast. But... Mad numbers. <laughs> It's okay. It's doing mad numbers. You're literally the only one I talk to about podcasts, so I don't know if <laughs> that's, that's what good. they say. I sometimes I I try so hard to keep it out of conversations that we do a podcast. Oh, yeah. that I do a podcast, like because you know the second you do, it's going to annoy the person you're talking to. I imagine someone saying that to me, and I want to punch this yeah. imaginary person. <laughs> so I keep it out. It's basic, yeah. Yeah. Um, what kind of podcast do you listen to? Well, you, you know what? Somebody f- from our pod who listens to our podcast recommended I listen to this one called All Aussie Mystery Hour, and it's an Australian podcast. These two gr- uh, women do it. They're in their 30s. I don't know like at what point you stop saying girls and women, but... Probably before your 30s, yes. <laughs> Females. Yeah. And they're really funny, and it's a lot of banter and talk, but it's good. Not for everyone, but they talk about... Is there um, any other like genres? So murder, mystery, Well, that's tr- not murder, all murders. They do cult. some stuff like we do. They've done the Tasmanian Tiger on there, and they'll do their version of Bigfoot and mm. stuff like that, and Spooky Tales, and they also do murders. And so because of that, I have listened to a couple other mystery murder ones, mm. which is, I'm, I'm scared. I don't, I don't like that stuff. <laughs> My threshold for entry into a murder is real. I think it's G-rated. a good idea for an extinction event episode to do a cold case murder style. Uh, maybe that's one you do because I know I'm, I'll just mess it up. <laughs> So, <laughs> I would love to hear that, though. Okay. Back to the episode today. It was so long since I wrote and, and researched this one. I, I, I'm talking about a place, but what got me into it was the Formosan clouded leopard. 
So I started researching the Formosan clouded leopard. Did and you I spell Formosan? F-O-R-M-O-S-A-N. Formosan. I was reading up about that, and then I came across this thing. It said they were exhibited at the Exeter Exchange in London. What? Never heard of this place. And I went down a deep, deep internet hole about the Exeter Exchange in London, and I decided I had to do a whole episode on it. Do you ever notice how we talk about going into internet holes? Yeah. (laughs) And everyone getting caught in these internet holes? Like, do you think that's a good thing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it's okay. I don't know if it'd be good anywhere else outside the internet. It's a rabbit hole, you know, like Alice in Wonderland. Deep, deep. Deep. I don't know. I'm just aware of this. You know, as we're learning about our social lives and our real lives, online stuff, just be aware of how we talk about these things. Because maybe they're saying something. Like we're falling deeply into these. But Mm -hmm. also, it's like you're falling into a book. That's a pretty good thing, right? I will say then... I was so captivated. Did you feel like a lion or a tiger who fell into a trap? Or did you feel like you were cuddling up with a warm book? Warm book. I was excited to turn the next page or do the next click that took me to another little reference that showed me something. Yeah. It wasn't dark in that hole. (laughs) But it was dark at the Exeter Exchange in London. Well, that was my first question right off the bat. How do you have a second store? Like, the zoo's on the second floor. Right, exactly. <laughs> you can see why I had to stop everything and go there. But uh, but to do it, to give it the respect it deserves, I am going to do a little bit on the Formosan leopard first. Okay. And even before that, also, Connor, we got your voicemail about the California grizzly. We're going to do it. Next season, by the way, this is technically the last episode of season five, so. Oh, it's the finale. Yeah, but we're just going to pretend like it's a regular episode. Okay. Okay. And we're probably just going to record the next one as if, like, we won't do a break. Anyway, um, but we're going to do the California Grizzly next time, I promise. At some point in the next 10 episodes, you'll get it. Okay. Will it be the murder mystery? Hey. Who knows? We'll find out. The leopard. It is named Formosan Clouded Leopard because that is where it's from. Formosan is another name for Taiwan. It's Taiwan's second largest carnivore. First would be the black bear. The Formosan clouded leopard isn't actually officially recognized as a distinct clouded leopard species. It's not different enough from the mainland clouded leopard in China. Uh, But the local population in Taiwan is extinct. These leopards had really interesting markings. Large cloud-like markings on the shoulders and the flanks. And then inside those clouds were spots. And then they those kind of transition into larger spots and then continue down the back of the leopard. Have you seen a clouded leopard? No, but I'm getting it. I'm painting a picture in my mind. And it seems okay. very cool. Yeah. 
They're also really good climbers. They can stay up in the trees for a long time. They can hang using just one paw and they can hang upside down. They sound like really cool, kind of chill, relaxed dudes with like fashion sense. I don't know. Hanging upside down isn't very relaxing for me. Uh, that's the cool, chill dude thing, you uh. know? Imagine if you're you're just you're like at college and you're walking in campus and there's some guy with a backwards hat <laughs> hanging upside down at the tree. <laughs> and then he like transitions to just hanging with one arm. You're like, whoa, who's this cool guy? He seems pretty chill. And that's the moment if I have a child that age, like if, if I have a child that just started college uh-huh. and and they're the ones walking down the quad and they see that guy hanging out, I'm just hoping they don't go up and talk to him because that's going to send them on a very specific Well, no doubt path. this guy is dealing drugs. Exactly. <laughs> that's kind of what's in his coat. It's crazy. <laughs> you open up the clouds and it's just, I don't know, Kush. Going to dreamland. Here, let's dreamland. go. <laughs> so the Rukai people, that's spelled R-U-K-A-I, the Rukai people who lived in the habitat of the clouded leopard didn't actively hunt leopards. It was considered taboo to do so. Um, and another people, the Paiwan culture, they would only allow the pelt of a clouded leopard to be worn by nobility. So for the Formosan clouded leopard, hunting wasn't really a huge problem for it. There was a lot of logging happening in their habitat, and we think that's when they started retreating to the mountains. And how long they were able to survive up there is unknown. But generally, it seems that in the 1980s was the last reputable sighting that we have of a clouded leopard Mm -hmm. in that region. They did extensive searches for it in the 1990s and 2000s, and they were unable to find one. Unofficial sightings have continued, two of them, as recently as 2018. The first sighting claimed to have seen a clouded leopard climbing a tree and hunting goats on a cliff sounds like yeah right why why is that it you know it sounds like pretty legit (laughs) (laughs) it's got a time location was it time 2018 okay location not that there's some other witnesses with goats (laughs) i'd count it Sure, you know, no evidence beyond just... Was this person, like, drunk or something? Like, Had they encountered... Oh, they tripping? <laughs> they got their head in the clouds? Yeah, exactly. So the second sighting saw one dart past a scooter on a road and then climb a tree. Also seems pretty likely. Maybe, okay, that one I'm going to give, like, you could have been traveling kind of fast. The leopard could have been zooming fast. Maybe not the best, most reliable. They confuse the scooter with a clouded leopard? That could happen, too. (laughs) Have you ever spotted an animal when you were driving that you could count as a sighting? A deer. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's about it. 
It's not too exciting. No. It, it's usually either like, oh, there's a deer. Or, oh, no, there's a deer. Because it's <laughs> late at night. Yeah. And for some reason, you're in Michigan and you're... You're not used to seeing deers that close to the road, and it's and a, also not alive, and they're exploded all over the road. <laughs> is that what you're saying? Right? No, I'm. Oh no, there's a deer. Almost about to jump in front of your vehicle. Oh, I have seen the other version as well, but I am terrified of one jumping in front of my car. I don't know what I'd do. I'd probably. <laughs> Turn the wheel as fast as I could and like roll down the freeway. I don't know what you're supposed to do. I think you're probably just, not that. Like not supposed to break. You're just supposed to mow into it at on at full speed, right? <laughs> I don't know. Never, never popped up for me. I hope it never does. Anyway, I maybe they saw them. I do not know if they're still around. Forrest Gallant probably knows, but. Mitsubishi Forest Club. <laughs> so I was reading about this, and then I read that in 1821, a Formosan-clouded leopard was described by someone who saw it at the Exeter Exchange in London. So I clicked Exeter Exchange, and now here we are. are you excited to hear about this? Yeah, I mean, I, I I can totally move on from the leopard, really. Yeah, oh, okay, so that's gone. <laughs> Sorry that that happened. That's a bummer. Uh, it was probably just logging and it retreats to the mountain. Nobody sees it anymore. Yeah. Maybe it's still in the mountains. Maybe there's a couple left. I don't know. Well, hey, I appreciate they weren't just getting like slaughtered for their coats, which seems like it would be a really likely thing since they're unique and cool looking coats. Right. So that's, that's positive. Yeah, I should have elaborated on that. It, it was one of those situations where they had a somewhat healthy relationship with it for a long time. And they were prized and... Respected and revered. Respected. And instead of another culture coming in and saying, no, these things are evil, it looks like they just got pushed out because of the logging, which yeah. is refreshing. It's different for us. The result's the same. Right. But, you know, a little spice to the stories. Exactly. It's not the same story every time. Great. Okay. Cool. Exeter. Exeter. <laughs> Exeter Exchange on the Strand in London. Before it was the Exeter Exchange, it was a personal home of Lord Burley. And I believe it was built in the late 1500s. After he died, the property was given to his son, Thomas, the Earl of Exeter. The family will continue living there until the Fire of London in 1666. Then the family abandons the property, and that's when a new building is constructed at the site around 1676. So it was a personal residence for a long time, then it becomes a building that is going to be for businesses. Uh, and it's known as the Exeter Exchange. Later, the Exeter Change. Like, that's a nickname for it, I think. The Exeter Change. Those British people, man. <laughs> Something rhymes. Some, you know. Right. 
they find a way to shave off syllables <laughs> then it's like game of telephone you don't know what the hell they're talking about yeah but at the end of the day nubbles like- and jubs and that means like i don't know carburetor isn't it embarrassing that we have to put the subtitles on for a British accent? That's how... Embarrassing for me? Yes. No. Yes. I think it is. There's so many people who just always have to put subtitles on because it's not in their native language. But it's a different language. It makes sense. when it's- I take it back. It's not embarrassing because you, you want reference. And you want to be like, wait, what did I just hear? Oh, okay. Because I'm, I'm not going to assume that I know everything that everybody's talking about. And so if it's something I haven't heard before, it's good to see it written down. It's making me think of, you remember the movie Snatch? Uh-huh. There was um, that and another one that came out way back in the day. And, and that was a style <clears throat> that was popular for a like little bit. Lock, stock, two smoking barrels. Yes, that yeah. one too. When those came out, everyone was really into them, and I just got on the bad bandwagon. I, I couldn't tell you <laughs> anything, the narrative, <laughs> because I didn't understand one word they said the whole movie <laughs> at all. But I was just, I wanted people well, to was, like me, so I pretended like I was nodding your head, really like, into yeah. that's a great movie. Guy Ritchie, he's a great director. <laughs> Well, Brad Pitt and you know, he was supposed to, in Snatch. You're not supposed to know what he's saying. <laughs> that was like part of the character. Okay. Was there subtitles for him? No. Okay. Okay. He's like a Irish like gypsy boxer, bare knuckle boxer. He's like wow. fighter I can't do it. But that's basically what he sounded like. Oh. I don't ever need to watch that movie again. Um back to the it's something that you watch when you're hanging out with your college buddy who's hanging upside down in the trees. <laughs> yes. It's a very college movie. Yeah. Back to the Exeter change. It is three stories tall. Two stories in some places. It's kind of got like a little added on area. And it's broken up into many different rental units for businesses and shops. So you've got lots of milliners and upholsterers. And in the early 1700s, there were 48 different shops on the ground floor. Some units were used for exhibitions of various things, including a very large bed. It cost one crown to see it. Whoa. Just a giant bed? (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Would you pay? I don't know how much a crown is. But <laughs> <laughs> Probably no. You're not. Just to see it? Can I lay on it? Can I jump around on it? Mm, I don't. I... I'm not paying just to see a large bed. Okay. I, there's no internet these days, so maybe it's a I little would. more enticing. Like You can't imagine how big this bed is. I'm for sure going to see the bed. Are you disappointed? In nah, your imagination. nah, I'm excited because my bed's like 12 inches wide. Maybe I don't even have a bed, you know? In the 1700s. Uh-huh. Yeah, everyone's <laughs> basically sleeping on benches. <laughs> Hay stuffed benches. I bet it's like just like a California king size bed. And they're like, it's the biggest bed of the world. 
well, I missed it here. Um, I guess it was 18 feet tall. I don't know if it was 18 feet climbing up to the bed or like that was just no. It probably had a huge like banister things. Right. Okay. okay. So it's more like tall bed, not like here's Shaq's bed <laughs> that they had to make special, and it's 20 feet across. <laughs> okay. Other things they used it for. Bodies were put on display there. And okay. I thought that was weird for a second, but I think it was quite common if there was somebody of a distinguished person that they would take it around and show it around. Like, didn't they do that with Abraham Lincoln? They drove it around and everybody could look at him. His exploded head? I don't remember. Probably. I don't, I don't know. Did you ever go to the bodies exhibit? I uh, didn't. I didn't want to. Oh, my gosh. You it, probably made a big stink about, like, <laughs> you got invited. Everybody, I saw it. I think I said it twice. Twice? I must have. It freaked me out a little bit. Just seeing all the skin peeled away. Yeah. And I, also, it's just like, who are these people? Right. Uh, you get the overwhelming sense that they were all very poor. And didn't deserve this fate. <laughs> it, this is the greatest fear for checking the organ donor box, right? That you're going to be made into an exhibit. Yeah. <laughs> but not. it's not like you're recognizable. What, did they show faces? Like half a face? Nah, see, that's, I can't. That's creepy. I I don't care. If I'm dead, I don't care. Put me on display. But I just, that was the feeling. The only thing I really remember is they had like, it was it was a body, but it was just, the only thing was blood vessels. No muscles, no mm-hmm. skeletons or anything. And it's just like shaped like a human. And you're like, this is insane. Wow. We're just blood. Yeah. One, how did they do this? Who figured out how to right. do this? Could we be spending our time better? <laughs> Creepy, weird. Creepy, yeah. Yeah. No, thanks. All right. Bodies were on display. Rooms were used for concerts, which is cool. I want to throw a little concert for your band, 1700s band. Your parents and a couple friends could come. <laughs> the upper rooms were often used for storage. And that's when I say the third floor, you know, that was a top floor. It was more like an attic looking things where you'd put servants. But I... You know what I mean. Those old buildings, and when you go on a little tour when you're a kid, and they're always like, those top floors were for the servants. In the basements. Yeah, okay. But you're always like, but that's the best view up there. It's kid logic, <laughs> yes, that makes sense. It's like kids are like, I want the top bunk. Right. <laughs> no, the top bunk sucks. <laughs> okay. So that was storage up there. But in 1773, the top floor, or I think the second floor, became a menagerie. And we've talked about what a menagerie is before. Essentially, it was a proto-zoo. It's what we called a zoo before we had zoos. Yeah. Um, Caged animals, whether they're traveling or kept in one place, um, like that's a menagerie. And I believe the one at Exeter Exchange was first rented by Mr. Gilbert Pidcock. Although uh, there's like, 
I didn't go that far. There was also a Mr. Thomas Clark who could have had his his animals there first. I'm not sure. Uh, but Pidcock was known for his traveling circus. And I think at first he was just using it as a place to keep his animals in the winter when he couldn't travel around. But pretty quickly, he turns it into a menagerie where people would pay to come see those caged animals. Mr. Pidcock's upstairs menagerie. <laughs> Come on, come all. That is what's fascinating about it, right? Is for some reason having them on the second floor just seems like a bad idea. <laughs> well, because we're thinking in the context of zoos where they're at least like, here's an exhibit. They're trying to mimic their, you know, right. where they lived and where this is no doubt just like shoving cages right. into corners and be like, eh, stuffy. Here they are. And they're all just prisoners. It looks like a a prison, yeah. More so than a zoo normally does. Wild exotic animals are kept there, like lions, tigers, monkeys. And they're held in these iron cages in small rooms. It really does look like a prison. And um, he calls it Pidcock's Exhibition of Wild Beasts. And it's only really competing with the Royal Menagerie at the Tower of London for customers at the time. And to get in, it cost half a crown, so less than the bed. Wow, yeah. Um, and I guess a half a crown is one shilling. So that, that doesn't seem like much. Yeah. Some animals on display I found in an ad from... A little bit later, from 1799, were an African lion, Bengal tiger, cassowary, a black swan, zebra, a horned ram, kangaroos, a cow with two heads, and at various times there they had a porcupine, an ape, a macaw, spotted hyena, a wolf, a colt with three legs, a ram with six legs, Beavers, leopards, vultures, a hippo, a rhino, and more. How are you going to keep a rhino in there? That's right. On a second story of a building? How are you getting it upstairs? Yeah. I'm assuming it's they they pulled it in from outside, and or maybe there was a big freight elevator. That's a good question. I bet you they had a big ramp that they built out back or something, because... I'm about to get into it, but they had elephants, too. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> so they had a lot of animals there, a lot of ones that don't seem like they should be in there, right? Like, some of the stuff fine, like a zebra. That's kind of like the in New York, they keep the horses that go around Central Park. They stay in the city. They have just stables in a building and i yeah those are probably they go to the second story on that but when you start getting like a hippo in there whoo a lion a lion doesn't seem right seems crowded it's not like human rights were big at this time <laughs> and you can't expect a lot for animals right we were paying to see a bed <laughs> so the living conditions weren't expected to be better than your own yeah. Uh, the walls of the rooms were painted with scenery, but otherwise this is just like the floor of an office building, you know, with animals in every office. 
And at the time, you could see other animals in a better setting at the Tower of London. But who wants to make that schlep, you know? <laughs> Go down to Exeter. Also, if you're a milliner on the first floor and there's a, a hippo <laughs> above you. That's my question. What did that smell like? <laughs> exactly. Oh, my God. But the thing is, at the time, you couldn't really see animals like this anywhere else besides the Tower of London or if there was a traveling circus. The zoological gardens in Regent Park, which will become the London Zoo, they don't open until 1828. So this that's a long time Yeah, where it's very special to be able to go see these animals, right? Including this clouded leopard. Right. That one was there in... 1821 yeah so this was there for a long time yeah uh at at least uh, i was talking about the elephant right so at least one was kept there arriving in 1809 chuni was 11 feet high he weighed almost five tons and he was a bit of a theater actor which you know we love on this podcast (laughs) Anytime the animals get involved in the theater arts, we love it. Respect them. There's a whole episode on bears in the bear theaters of Russia, which is insane. There's another one, too. It's another bear one. Yeah, bears are big in theater. So it's cool to see an elephant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. Speak on that. And you can see now why I had to do this episode. It just kept giving me more and more. <laughs> more <like>. breadcrumbs leading <laughs> you. So Chuni performed at Covent Garden in a few productions. Bluebeard, Harlequin, Golden Fish. Those are three. And I've never heard of either of any of those. So <laughs> I don't know if they're good ones or not. Do you think there was a role for an elephant in these? Or they had to just kind of <laughs> like, I don't know. Is it? How the ele- how are they inserting an elephant? Right, into these? like are they putting a a wig on him? Tonight's performance, uh, the role of Mister Johnson, right. will be <laughs> performed by Chuni Chuni the elephant. That's something to look up. I'll try and figure that out by next episode. Uh, he was also friends with Edmund Keane, a famous Shakespearean actor. Chuni would fondle Keane with his trunk. Okay. And Keen would give Chuni loaves of bread in return. For good fondling. (laughs) For good fondling. I don't even know if elephants are supposed to eat bread. But yeah, interesting relationship between the two of them there. Don't know what uh, the fondling involved. Uh, It seems innocent. Sure. The elephants did do other tricks, and I think there was more than one. They could unlock doors and do tricks with money. So Chuni would take money from a visitor and then tease them, you know, like, oh, try and get it. Nope. Pull it back. Um, Classic. Classic trick. Lots of laughs. He would also take their hats off. You know, this is like... Also, do you think elephants can, like feel good when people laugh yeah and they get a big laugh does it really get like 
Do they appreciate it? I think so. Do you think <sighs> they get depressed if they really bomb? <laughs> you know, like it's just for whatever reason, the hat trick is just not working that day. He's getting no laughs. Is he going home depressed? Yeah. But then you, <laughs> you, you, you like drown your sorrows in loaves of bread that night. Your yeah. performance at Bluebeard just didn't get good reviews. <laughs> Um, you got to bounce back, you know, just go out there good tomorrow. <laughs> uh, I'm assuming Chuni was one of the biggest draws for the menagerie. But his arrival will kind of mark the beginning of the slow demise of the entire establishment. Uh, around 1810, uh, Stephen Polito, he's uh, a traveling menagerie owner as well he joins with the other guy pidcock uh, and i don't know maybe he takes it over i'm not sure something happens there but that's also short-lived because he dies in 1814 one of his employees cross is his name he'll take over for him at that point all really boring information fondled to death <laughs> well bye 1826, Chuni will become, as they describe him, ungovernable. I'm doing Ooh. that in quotes. Yeah, I love it. Ungovernable. So, Rise up, Chuni. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, the bread loaves aren't cutting it. He's in prison. He's been in prison for a long time. Right. His mind's starting to crack. Going back to the whole, how do you get the hippo up there or the rhino? How do you get him up there? Day in and day out, he's like walking over to Covent Garden to do these shows. That's why maybe there was a ramp. I, we don't have to worry too much about the logistics, but it, yes, this is tons. good evidence that he's probably not, you know, going up a ladder or something. <laughs> There's got to be an easy in and out access for a giant elephant. Right. Okay, so he is ungovernable. What's he doing? One, he's getting sick a lot. And he's also getting violent. One of his tusks was rotten. And so that was giving him a toothache. At this point, the elephant has primarily lived in this small cage on the second story of this building for 17 years. He does get to leave for walks down the strand and to do these theatrical performances. And then one day on one of these walks, he lashes out and kills one of his keepers. Whoa. Yeah. that You got to be not in a good place to do that. Unless your keeper is a total jerk. There's a lot of parallels, this and the Blackfish documentary, right? Mm. With the orcas. Yeah. Here you have this giant animal in a confined space for a long time. After a while, it's like, hey, I've been polite. I've been doing this, mm. but my mind's going crazy and it's going to <laughs> express itself with a murder. Yeah. It reminds me of when... You have a house guest. I don't, this doesn't really happen to me, but like 
happens to my mom. (laughs) She'll say, sure, you can come stay with us. She just can't say no. And then it ends up being like a friend of a friend who's an absolute nightmare. And they end up staying for weeks on end. And they've stopped doing dishes. They're eating all your food. They're drinking your drinks. And you just, like the courtesy stops at some point and you've gone insane yeah and you just snap did she snap <laughs> I, I don't think she killed anyone but you don't think <laughs> no. I don't but know. you could imagine I, may, I could imagine her murdering someone yes <laughs> okay <laughs> so he kills his keeper they do not decide to put him down not that cash cow <laughs> They continue to monitor him for several days. Yeah, I figure they would have just immediately put him down. Like, we do that now. A dog next door gives you a little nip. Boom. You're gone. Like, minutes later, they're out with a... I don't know how they do it. Dark gun? Dogs? Mm -hmm. Dark gun? How do they put... I don't want to talk about this. (laughs) I'm sorry I even asked. (laughs) Uh... Okay. Uh, no, it's not a dark gun. That's for like escape tigers and stuff. Oh. Again, I don't want to know the details. Okay. All right. Chuni. Back to Chuni. So they they are monitoring for several days, but it is becoming obvious that Chuni was at that point and needed to be put down. He was too ungovernable. <laughs> at first. They attempt to poison him, but Chuni smells the poison and he refuses to eat it. (laughs) Okay, try it again. Nope. And like, I don't know if he's just insane at that point or if he's just being a dramatic theater actor. It's hard to know. I won't eat the poison. No. (laughs) Isn't that... The Macbeth? What's I don't... He's friends with the Shakespearean actor. And one of the Shakespeare's, they find out they're going to poison someone, right? But the an informant lets him know. Yeah, you're right. It could be he is such an actor that he's just playing out uh, one last scene. You know, grand scene. Right. Is that Macbeth? Is it Romeo and Juliet? I don't... I don't know. There's a poison in all of them. There's, right. So he he refuses it. So at that point, they call in some soldiers. They line up in front of Chuni's cage. And his keeper gives Chuni the command to kneel down. And he does. Wow. This is dramatic. Yeah. The soldiers begin firing. 152 bullets are shot into Chuni. (laughs) I'm sorry. 152 bullets? Bullets. They're probably pretty close to the cage. This whole scene. Crazy. He's kneeling down. 152. I don't even... Is that minutes worth of shooting? 10 soldiers... All shooting 15 shots. Maybe That's a, it's a long time. You have to reload each time, right? It's not a machine gun. Yeah, it's going to take a long time. 
It was like 1820-something. Yes. It's Not automatic rifles at that time. No. So that took a while, right? And um, It dies, right? He's still alive. No. He's still alive. (laughs) So a keeper had to come in with a spear and spear him to death. (laughs) They really botched this whole job. So way to go, Chuni. He wasn't going to go easily. I mean, he did kneel down. I don't know, though. Uh, must have liked that keeper a little bit more than the one he killed in the street. Yeah. He allowed him to live. Oh, uh, right. So he spears him to death. There's an account from the event that talks about how the sound of Chuni in agony during this process was very hard to hear, understandably. Because mm-hmm. so, everybody... <laughs> You know, people trying to get their work done yeah, on the floor. Yeah, 40 <laughs> shops down there. Like, yeah. come, would you like to look at these curtains? <laughs> get more bullets. Junie is screaming. Yeah. And over here we have some lovely satin shades. And not to mention, exactly. Not to mention, he's on the second floor when this is happening. (laughs) So now you have a five ton elephant lying dead on the second story of an office building. Here's blood started to drip through the (laughs) ceiling. Right. Blood everywhere. I don't think they thought this through very well. Like, what do you do at this point? I'm digging a hole, and then I'm having Chuni go to the <laughs> hole, and then I kill him. Can you kneel into the I'm hole? I'm digging him up to his head, like his neck, <laughs> filling it in, and then, then do 150 shots. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so what do they do? They charge admission to come and look at the body. Of course. It was probably the plan all along. Yeah. I, all right. I'm like, you already said you're probably not going to go look at the bed, the big bed for a one shilling. Are you going to go look at Chuni? If I'm in the 1800s, yes. Me now, modern day? No. Absolutely. Yeah. Kind of no. Me. I me either. I want to see a dead elephant. I can look it up on my phone. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. If it's between like go see a dead elephant or like catch cholera, then I'm gonna go see it because like that's what you do in the 1800s. Right. Well, I will be downstairs looking at the bed, which at this point is probably soaked through with blood. Yes. From the second story seeping down. (laughs) So I don't know how many days that went on for, but eventually doctors and students come in to disassemble him there. They're getting their surgery practice on. Right. Interesting. So this is all happening while the other animals are watching. (laughs) The whole thing. Like they didn't evacuate the other you know yeah i like sawing through chuni and shoot uh, the whole thing like, there's my friend yeah my 17 only years friend. 
All right, so what happens to Chuni's body? They sell the skin to a tanner, and the bones go to a museum at the Royal College of Surgeons in Lincoln's Inn Fields. It remains there until 1941, until the museum's hit by a bomb and the skeleton is destroyed. Wow. So that was in 1826. In 1828, the remaining menagerie animals are relocated to the zoological gardens at Regent's Park. And uh, to Crosses, he's the, the last guy who had owned the menagerie there. He has a new enterprise that he's starting at Surrey Zoological Gardens. And that one doesn't last for very long. It closes in 1862, whereas the gardens at Regent's Park, they eventually become the London Zoo, and those are still in operation. Hmm. So all of the Exeter Exchange animals went to what will eventually become the London Zoo. Zoo. Yeah. And... uh, primarily the upgrade for them it is an upgrade they out some of them can be outside and also the exeter exchange just couldn't compete now that this big zoo was starting up it's like we're the second story of an office building yeah like we can't compete with a zoo right which is probably for the best right and you know you've got the whole Chuni being massacred there. The ghost of Chuni still <laughs> haunting the building. <laughs> so two years after those... The am- blood stains that just won't come out no matter how hard you scrub. No. You got to replace the floorboards. And like I said, the smell. The smell. <laughs> Which probably wasn't from the blood. Two years after those animals are relocated, the Exeter exchange is torn down Mm. and that wasn't because of chuni it was partly because it was encroaching out into the road like the way it had been built was not good for traffic um and they'd kind of wanted it to be relocated and gone for a long time so that's torn down they rebuild exeter hall in 1831 and that was used for meetings up until 1907, I know, it's like a convention center. <laughs> I don't know. Does the ghost of Chuni haunt those halls? I didn't look that up, but it's okay. not. It's changed since then. Now it is the Strand Palace Hotel, which sounds really fancy, right? Yeah. You would never know they butchered an elephant. Right. On the grounds. And I assume that's more than one room that's affected by his ghost because he's a pretty big elephant right i don't know the rules of ghosts and everything but i'm gonna assume and you don't hear a lot about elephant ghosts which is surprising it is because wasn't there the another one that was hung isn't there a famous one that got like lynched yeah there is there was one that like didn't like Tesla or Thomas Edison like electrocute this elephant? I think it was that one. Clara. There's one that was electrocuted. That one. Know what you're talking about. And then there's another one. I just looked it up. Mary. She killed her keeper. And the next day, there's a picture. There's a huge crane. They hung her from this crane. We are terrible, (laughs) right? Like... I can't... What is wrong with us? 
I mean, obviously, it's terrible. It's not an easy pr- problem to solve. How do you kill an elephant? I mean, they have guns for this. Maybe use one of those, but I think just they... for a regular person to try and kill an elephant, it's a pretty big problem. Well, a regular person doesn't have a crane that's capable of hanging an elephant by its neck. You use what you got. <laughs> I think they were trying to teach it a lesson, make it feel bad. Otherwise, As a warning to other elephants who might get uppity. Maybe. Otherwise, you dig a big hole, make it walk into it, like you said. <laughs> Cover the hole with Hit dirt. it with rocks. <laughs> ay, ay, ay. Anyway, well, that is the Exeter Exchange. It is the Formosan Clouded Leopard. I've never done a building before. It doesn't really make any ex- any sense for extinction event. I'm being completely honest. You just followed your nose and, yeah. and you know, went where the story took you. I And I can appreciate that. Yeah, and I'm... We know that at least one extinct animal was held there. That's why we can do it. And I'm sure there was others. In the 1700s, we still have a lot of animals that weren't extinct. Yeah. There's got to be a few bears and some lions that are gone now that were on display there. So? There you go. Did you like it, Jack? I loved it. You loved it. Rest in peace, Chuni. R.I.P. Really. <laughs> Rest in peace, Chuni. <laughs> so that does it. Thank you for talking with me about my favorite topics again. And again, I'm not trying to do a break. We had a little break already. It's, this That's was, season five. That was season five. Wrap it up. That's another one. Let's go for 10 more. Like, if we don't do this, California Grizzly for Connor... Might have to just hang it up completely. (laughs) Okay. Bye. All right. Bye, Jack. A Peg Leg Deer production.